Hello, I'm Eben Novi Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Our partner, Michael Barr, is off this week. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. Today, we are social. On this week's podcast, we talk with the global head of sports partnerships for Twitter, Laura Froelich. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Eben, let's begin with the worst kept secret in sports, the Olympics 2024, 2028, Paris and L.A. I was on pins and needles. Finally announced by the IOC, who the IOC... L.A., Paris, which entity makes out best? I think it looks great for both the cities, right? I mean, Paris got the Olympics they wanted. L.A. did not get maybe the one they wanted. They wanted 2024. Four years later, they're going to host. They got some financial concessions, a couple hundred million dollars to take that concession. The question is about the IOC. This is not the way they've ever given out Olympics before. They were losing bidders, dropping like flies. They ended up with two good bidders for one Olympics, and they decided to parlay that into two different Olympics. So you're saying this is something they were forced to do, not something that they wanted to do. Does it give them now some time to get their house in order for future bidding processes? Without question. And they ended up with two premier cities, which is exactly what they're looking for. Um, and this is both cities that sponsors are going to love, especially in America. Olympics haven't been there, been here in a generation. Uh, it's it's the most robust sports marketing, sports media uh, country in, in, in the world. Uh, this works well for the IOC to have games at Olympics. The question is, when the next ones come about, who's bidding for them? And how much similar concessions like they gave to L.A. are they going to have to give out in the future? What I keep hearing from everybody associated with L.A. is that no white elephants. This is not going to cost. We have the venues. Everything's already here. We don't have to build major stadiums. This is not a huge infrastructure project. You're hearing the same from Paris. I'm just not sure if I'm fully buying it because I know it's in L.A. Sure. And along those same lines, did you see the reports that there's some U.S. cities that might be bidding for the 26 Winter Olympics? Salt Lake coming again. Salt Lake and Denver were in those reports. Uh, If that happens and they succeed, we would have both Olympics and the World Cup in a two-year span in America. I don't know if the the global... Uh, sports powers that be would want that, uh, but that would be an interesting uh, proposition. All right, let's move on. The National Lacrosse League, we talked about them a couple of weeks ago when they added Alibaba billionaire Joe Tsai. Well, they've added Comcast, now based in Philadelphia, will own the team in Philadelphia. We don't know the name yet, that's coming. But Comcast as an owner for a sport like lacrosse seems to me to be a win for the NLL. Absolutely. These past two weeks have been a pretty darn good uh, set of announcements for the NLL. Uh, you can say that Comcast, obviously, with their new subscription OTT service, they're looking for content. Lacrosse fits well into that. But you can get that content without owning a team. There's obviously something here about lacrosse, specifically, that Comcast likes as an entity. Well, Comcast, obviously, we know with Philadelphia, they have a lot of customers in Boston. And if we know if there is sort of that initial stranglehold of an area, it's the East Coast, particularly the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast for lacrosse. This is right in Comcast's wheelhouse. You just have to question, you mentioned OTT, is there a larger play? Does this get them a leg up? Like when Coors took, uh, the Peter Coors took a minority stake in the Colorado Rockies, he did it because he wanted the naming rights. Does this get them sort of that front-runner position for the sport of lacrosse, or at least the indoor variety, on an OTT service because everybody's got one now. The difference makers are going to be, what's the content? What do you have? For sure. And are you surprised that indoor lacrosse seems to be 
the more healthy from a business standpoint. I mean, this is not the game you see in college. It's not the game this you see This is not the playing, game that right. kids grow up playing. Right. It's a much smaller version, much faster paced. You can certainly see the allure of it. But it is a fundamentally different game than people grow up playing here in the U.S. and, and in North America. Yeah, at some point, the, the stakeholders in the sport of lacrosse, and I'm talking outdoor, indoor, they're going to have to get their act together. You can't have this alphabet soup of leagues and where are we seen. There has to be, much like soccer did with that Soccer United marketing sum, which can sell the sport in its entirety. Lacrosse needs something like that. Bring all the stakeholders together. Just have the ability to have one voice, one-stop shop for advertisers, for sponsors. Then perhaps we can see some movement for the sport as a whole. And when the stakeholders now include Joe Sy and Comcast, maybe those conversations happen a little faster than they would have normally. All right, Hurricane Irma delayed the release of the NFL numbers, but Roger Goodell probably not smiling, fair to say? Uh, definitely fair to say. I mean, everybody makes fun of the media for their knee-jerk reactions about what happens on the field in Week 1. Uh, there are some knee-jerk reactions happening right now regarding ratings in Week 1. They were not good. Uh, obviously, the, the storms that uh, threatened the, the southeast part of the United States played a large role in that. Uh, ratings last year were not good. They slumped almost the entire year. There was a number of explanations that were given for that. It was ranging, Trump in the election. Ranging it was from Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick. Right. Yeah, sure. And it, you pick it. Um, there's no question that NFL ratings in the first, early part of the season is going to be a big story. I'm not convinced that a hurricane-laden weekend of week one is the best way to kind of make a judgment about this season so far. And now we shift our focus to one of the most powerful women when it comes to sports and social media anyway, Laura Froelich. She's the global head of sports partnerships for Twitter. Laura, where do you go looking for all this content? You and I have had some conversations. I think your passport has quite a few stamps, right? It's pretty much everywhere. Um, I've flown, I think, almost 100,000 miles since January. I have visited... Are you ready for the list? Uh, can you do alphabetically? I'm ready. Uh, not alphabetically. <laughs> By population so, size, let's see. please. Uh, starting in January, Sydney, Melbourne, Mumbai, Dubai. Then a week in Tokyo in March. Augusta in April, I was fortunate enough to do. Gee, what's there? Oh, I don't know. A little golf tournament. And then in May, I did Rio, Paris, Madrid, Barcelona, London. I've done New York a couple times, I've done L.A., and I've done Toronto. And what do you have to show for all that from a Twitter perspective, <laughs> besides a lot, a lot of points? <laughs> a lot of points and the most phenomenal sports content in the world on our platform so that fans can enjoy it. So, you know, many years ago, we said we have all this incredible conversation on Twitter happening around sports because sports is where people come to see what's happening in the world and, and what people are talking about right now. And we said, there's this great conversation. What if we had not only that great conversation about that incredible Steph Curry dunk or that Aaron Rodgers touchdown, but we also have the video highlight officially from the NFL or the NBA to supplement that conversation to enrich it for fans. They want to watch it again and again. They want to share it with their followers. And so we created a program whereby these rights holders could put those highlights on Twitter and then brands can sponsor those highlights so they have their commercials run in front of the highlights that the NFL tweets out, for example, and they can put it into the timelines of their targeted audiences. So let's say an auto manufacturer wants to reach men 25 to 34, they can actually put that NFL highlight into the timeline of a man who is 25 to 34 with their brand message associated. So you know the, the content owner gets tremendous distribution, the brand gets association with that premium content, and the fan get 
great action. There's two measurements. There's the size of the audience and outlet reaches, but there's also the demographic. Yes, exactly. I'm guessing Twitter says, look at our demo. We're growing in size, that's fine, mm-hmm. but look at our demo. That's who we can reach. Yes, I mean, we, we certainly have had multiple quarters of, of consecutive growth, but to your point, what we're also delivering is a young audience. So with a lot of the live streaming content that we've been uh, distributing lately, what we found is that about three quarters of the audience is under 35, um, and about 55% is under 25. So it's a complimentary audience to what content owners are seeing on TV. Um, you know, that's always been our proposition. We are a terrific complement to what, what people are seeing on TV. And also, Is it right you say for now? Yeah. Is there that sort of the parentheses <laughs> for now? Not necessarily. I mean, I just think it's more a byproduct of people are living much more mobile lives. And so if you can't be at home watching TV, then sure, we want to give you another option to, to watch on your phone on Twitter. Um, but, you know, there's also the situation where you'll, you're at home and you want to watch the game and follow along and participate in the conversation on Twitter as well. Laura, I think most of our listeners have an idea of some of the content that you guys have. But can you give us a, just a rough list of, of how expansive uh, the partnerships that you guys have and what the content is you're offering? Yeah, I'd love to. So last quarter, for example, we live streamed over 1,200 hours of premium content across sports, news, and entertainment. Should we uh, say, by the way, that our company have deals. We probably uh, we should. should probably say yeah. that we do things together. Okay, we've done that. <laughs> Noted. Uh, so yes, thank you. And so we have streamed, uh, you know, hundreds upon thousands of, of hours of content across those those verticals. And within sports, it's it's really the the lion's share. And we have it's over over half is sports. Yes. So we have partnerships with the NFL, for example. We've been partners with them for multiple years for for highlights content. Uh, We live streamed Thursday Night Football last year, and we recently announced an expansion to our partnership where we are live streaming an original show from them called NFL Blitz. Uh, We also have a terrific partnership with the NBA. So we have original shows from them in addition to hundreds of highlights every week. And we're also live streaming WNBA games um, for the next three seasons. Um, We have partnerships with uh, stadiums. So similar to, uh, as you mentioned, we have a partnership with Bloomberg for a 24-7 news network on Twitter. We also have a partnership with Stadium for a 24-7 sports network on Twitter, which is incredibly exciting. It just launched recently. We are chatting with Laura Froelich, Global Head of Sports Partnerships for Twitter. How much are people watching the live stuff? Is it hours or is it measured in minutes? How much are they consuming? Yeah, so um, we're seeing terrific consumption, you know, across the board. It you know it varies from event to event, but you know we're we're really pleased as are our partners on on the viewership so far. What do the advertisers say? Because they're off, obviously they still advertise on the linear TV, mm-hmm. but it's not a lie to say, and I know all my friends do it. The commercial comes on the phone comes up. They're not paying attention to that commercial anymore. Are they paying attention to the advertisers on your platform, or are they just engaged with the social? They are absolutely engaged with with the advertisers on our platform. In fact, we have research that shows that Twitter users tend to um, pay more attention to the commercials than your average um, consumer watching TV. Um, They also pay great attention to the commercials on Twitter. So we have great completion rates for for the ads that they run on our platform, both in the highlights content as well as the live streams. What do they like the most? What gets the most number of eyeballs? 
they they love the kind of content, obviously, and you know this is it's no no surprise. They want the kind of content that really resonates most with fans. It's most engaging to fans. Um, so you know it really runs the gamut. Um, you know we the NFL, NBA, stadium. Uh, content that I mentioned is is super popular. Um, but again, what we're also looking to do is provide content to fans who are underserved in certain ways by traditional um, broadcast media. So, you know, there are only so many channels and only so many hours in the day that TV can have content on air, whereas Twitter theoretically has infinite shelf space. Um, and so what we're able to do is live stream things like uh, National Lacrosse League, or one of my favorite uh, instances of how we really partner together to deliver on a goal for a partner is our partnership with the PGA Tour. So the PGA Tour does a fantastic job of listening to the conversation on Twitter. And what they kept hearing was, we know golf is happening, but it's not on TV. We want to see the golf. And so what the PGA Tour did was, as you may know, they created their app, PGA Tour Live. And then they did a partnership with us, whereby we're live streaming the first hour to hour and a half of competition coverage on Thursdays and Fridays. And then after that hour to hour and a half, they say, we hope you've enjoyed this taste of this week's tournament. If you want to keep watching, head over to PGA Tour Live. And it's been fantastic for them in terms of driving signups for their app. Laura, just four years ago, the deals you signed with rights holders were about bringing the conversation to Twitter. No reference to live video. Has this been the goal all along? It's interesting that you say that there was no mention of live in that press release because, though it may not have been explicit, Twitter has always been live. We've always been about live conversation around what matters to people and particularly in sports. So while there may not have been live streaming content, there was live conversation around a whole host of, of sports. You know, another thing that's great about Twitter is that no matter what sport you're interested in, you can probably find a home and a community around that sport. And so we've we've been that for a long time. And now, you know, the next logical iteration of, of what Twitter is, is live streaming the actual events and marrying it together with that conversation. This is expensive stuff. Everybody knows it costs a lot of money to get premier broadcast rights. Where are... Where is the head of Twitter? Is this something you want to be doing? You had the NFL. It was a bargain like 10 million bucks, but it's not there now. It's Amazon's trying. Is that the NFL trying something new? Or is it we're not going to pay buckets of money for live rights? Yeah, I mean, the great position we're in is that we've had multi-year partnerships with all of these rights holders, and we have proven our model of monetization to them year in, year out. So we've been doing our Amplify in-stream video sponsorship program for, uh, we're in our fifth year of it now, and content partners are seeing terrific revenue shares from that program. So it puts us in a really great position to continue those types of relationships and those types of arrangements into, into the live content sphere as well. We are chatting with Laura Froelich, the head of global sports partnerships at Twitter. I know you're a fan of Adam Silver. And I'm thinking, if I'm an owner, I'm looking at the big bucks. There's this argument of at home versus in arena. Like, in arena, there's X number of seats, X number of dates. That, to me, screams finite revenue. Scalable media is maybe where it's at. What are the leagues telling you? What do they say they need, they want, they're looking for? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great point because they, they recognize that only a really small percentage of their fans are going to be able to attend games. I mean, I see that close up when I travel around the world and I see fans of the NBA everywhere. Or as we stream WNBA games, we get WNBA players tweeting on Twitter thanking us for streaming their games because now international fans can watch them. So it's it's really, again, it's for the, for the rights holders and the league specifically, they want distribution distribution to audiences that they might not be able to capture otherwise. You also need to make money. Sure. That, that everybody, every business <laughs> likes to make a little money. money so we're good. hearing one of the things being considered, says Anthony Noto, formerly of the NFL, formerly of Goldman Sachs, is a premium subscription service. What will that look like? What do you think it will do to the sports fan on Twitter? And will sports be affected? Is that part of the premium? Yeah, I mean, that's that's not necessarily something that I can speak about publicly, um, but it's certainly something to, to keep an eye on. You know, for the time being, we have a terrific model. Um, as I said, we're, we're doing a great job monetizing for, for our content partners, and, and we're going to keep at it. How does new technology like AR, VR, 3D even, mm-hmm. how does that kind of factor into to where you see live sports content on Twitter. It's a fantastic way to give fans access that they might not otherwise get. So it's just another way, you know, fans come to Twitter because they want to be able to get that personal look into the lives of their favorite players, for example. And different ways of of presenting that are really exciting and engaging for fans. So, for example, we have uh, a way for our content owners to go live in 360. And we had UFC use it uh, several months ago for for weigh-ins. We have college teams using it to show behind the scenes in locker rooms so you can take a 360 view of of what's going on there. And Laura, there have been a lot of coaches who don't let their players, this college game, don't let their players use Twitter during the season. Your reaction? It's really up to to each individual coach and and what their what their preference is for their team. Um, you know, I, I think there are some who who understand the, the value of proposition of Twitter and they give their players the the guidelines and the guardrails and, and we're certainly happy to, to help them in that effort. Uh, but if you know if it's their decision to, to have them not do that, that's that's certainly up to them. Do you have a personal mantra in sort of keeping you from getting in trouble on Twitter. <laughs> Ours is, does. mine is, does this need to be said? Does this need to be said right now? Does this need to be said right now by me? At least I'm taking a second to pull back and think about these things before I just put something out there. We've seen occurrences where perhaps people... Did, did not, did take not the follow time. those. those yeah, do yeah. Not, nobody do follows those. I have a couple. So uh, there's one that we like to use at Twitter. Uh, you know, hearkening back to Anchorman, keep it classy. Uh, there's also one for me personally. Wh- how would I feel if my mother saw this? Um, and that usually tends to keep me from saying anything untoward. Not that I would anyway, but it's a good mantra I think for folks to consider. How much of the athletes themselves play in the promotion of your product? I mean, whether it's Curry, LeBron. They are direct consumer. That's they. You give them the ability to go direct to consumer. Exactly. I, I won't say they don't need us, because we interpret better than anybody else. Of course. But they go direct. I mean, you're the platform for them. 
Right. I mean, they they definitely understand that it's a it's a connection that they can have with fans unlike any other. It's also an opportunity for fans. I think one of the things that fans love most about Twitter is they get to see the athletes interacting with each other on our platform. So, um, you know, when uh, NBA free agency comes around, yeah. uh, you know, the emoji battles that happen, you know, fans love to see that sort of stuff. And, you know, the, the athletes themselves interacting with each other. But then also, as you said, the opportunity for athletes to, to interact with them is also really powerful for fans. I think another thing that I really think about a lot, too, is that it allows the athletes to really develop as a global brand because because of the open nature of, of our platform. You don't have to live in a certain city or even in the United States to be a fan of, of the athletes who play here. What would I be surprised to learn about Twitter? What don't I know? I don't know. You seem to know a lot. Um, What's next? So, so we're looking at continuing on the path that we're on of this amazing live content that we're able to bring to the platform. So we've, as I said, signed 40 partnerships recently, and we are absolutely not slowing down. So I'm continuing to pack those bags and get on those planes and, and go everywhere to, to speak with partners about the kinds of content that we think are going to be best for fans on the platform. And in the next couple of years, we're going to see the really valuable premium rights in the U.S. start coming up on the market. UFC is next next year, and then after that, we have the big four leagues, etc. Are you guys going to be in those conversations? Are you willing to put up the money that it might take uh, to, to land some of those rights? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly want us to be part of the conversations, you know, what it ends up looking like. Uh, you know, obviously time will tell, but, you know, certainly interested in, in seeing what what the rights holders have to say. We are chatting with Laura Froelich, the global head of sports partnerships at Twitter. Do you use Facebook? I do use Facebook. What do you use it for? I'm just curious. Is it? It's Facebook is great to connect and keep up with with my friends. Um, Twitter is more to keep up with my interests and passions. Um, so you know, I definitely want to see what my cousins' babies are growing up to to be um, on Facebook. But you know, when I am thinking about you know what's going to happen to my beloved but troubled New York Jets team. I go to Twitter. Where is Twitter versus linear TV? Because in the beginning, remember, it was all this. It's it's cannibalizing the audience. That was it's cannibalizing. What do the television executives? What does John Skipper? What what, what do they say to Twitter and to you? They say, you know, the, the conversation between us is we are a complement to to what you're putting on television, um, and we can also help supplement and complement your programming. Uh, you know, a, a great example of that is, you know, I think uh, more and more broadcasters are, are taking a page from from what they're seeing on Twitter and really help having the conversation that's happening on Twitter infuse the programming. So it can really be a symbiotic relationship where what you see on TV is is coming from what you're seeing on Twitter and you can enjoy both at the same time. But, incorporating social into broadcast. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You're also competing, though, in some ways. I mean, the you have live content that I'm sure there are some TV providers would like to have. And we're seeing an expansion into non-live long form. You know, LeVar Ball and his family have a Facebook deal for a reality show. I'm sure there are TV networks that would love to have had that contract. So you're also competing in some ways for content. Yeah, I mean, I you know, there's always going to be audiences that and we have to, to respect where the audiences are going. Again, you know, we feel like we can deliver a complimentary audience to TV. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the future brings. You like to say, know what your customer or your client is looking for when they come to you. 
what are they looking for? What did what do they tell you now they're coming to your platform looking for? They are looking for the opportunity to be part of the conversation around their brand. And they're looking for an incremental, younger, cord-cutting audience. And that's what we can deliver. Is Trump the best thing in the world for Twitter? <laughs> uh, he has certainly driven conversation on the platform. I wouldn't say that he has outsized impact than, you know, more than any, any other conversation that's happening on Twitter. Um, he's, he's absolutely visible, for sure, but there's a ton of conversation around everything every day on our platform. What are some of your favorite Twitter accounts, sports or not sports? So my very favorite, I've made no secret of this. I, I try not to talk about favorites because you know we love all of our partners, but um, I love no laying up. So I'm a huge, huge golf fan, and they do a fantastic job of just very humorous, very insightful golf commentary. I was told this. Please tell me if it's true. I hope you can confirm that the NFL limits the number of tweets that each team can put out during a game from their social media account. Is that true? So the NFL has has guidelines and we work with them and 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 the clubs. Um, you know, they they do all kinds of things. So they've given the, the clubs the right to publish highlights. So um, and, you know, it didn't used to be the case. It used to be only the NFL published um, highlights from games, but now the clubs have the opportunity to do that. They've also even given the clubs the opportunity to monetize those highlights on Twitter, um, which is something that, that they're doing for the first time this year. And, and all the clubs are participating, which is really exciting. They're also doing um, periscopes. You know, They're really taking advantage of all of the content distribution tools that that we have and so we're re we're really pleased with with what the NFL and the clubs are doing. Who are the biggest and best advertisers on your platform? Oh gosh, I mean so many, but you know some of the the NFL advertisers that have come back year after year, um, Ford, Anheuser-Busch, Verizon, um, DiGiorno has has participated in the NFL program for multiple years. Um, Anheuser-Busch also is is an advertiser across multiple sponsorship programs that we have. So they've done not only the NFL, but they've done our NBA sponsorship. They are uh, Mick Ultra is also a PGA Tour sponsor. So we have multiple advertisers who are not only multi-year uh, participants, but also they participate across a, a variety of our of our offerings. What's it cost? Uh, it varies. It varies. The dollar total, the pool is the same for these advertisers. They have to decide where it goes. Does it go to NBC? Does it go to ESPN? Does it go to Twitter? Does it go to Facebook? Where's the shift of dollars? Yeah, I mean, I would say the... There's not, necess there's not necessarily a finite pool. Um, sometimes advertising, you know, the advertising budgets themselves fluctuate. Uh, and, and what the advertisers are doing is they're saying, where is the audience that we want to reach? And how do we want to reach them? What kind of environment do we want to reach them in? And increasingly, they're seeing that Twitter is a place where they can reach fans that are becoming more and more elusive everywhere else. You know, if, if fans are, are cutting the cord everywhere, um, then Twitter is going to be a place where they can still find them. All right. That's Laura Froelich, head of global sports partnerships at Twitter. Thank you very much, Laura, for taking some time. Thank you so much. This was great. Eben, my takeaway from our conversation with Laura is that this company is not stopping anytime soon. She is scouring the globe for content. And for now, she is positioning Twitter as this enhancement to that linear TV. I ain't buying it. This is going to be a company moving forward, as will Facebook, as will Amazon, that will throw big dollars 
to big-time sports in the future. It's funny that she used the word compliment to the live TV package because I don't think she really sees it that way. And certainly the linear TV folks don't see Twitter as a, as a compliment. These are competitors. They're competing for live content. They're competing for long-form content. They're competing for eyeballs, especially among younger demographics. These are companies that are working against each other, and it will be fascinating as more of the premier rights come up, the NBAs, the NFLs, the NHLs, to see what happens. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. And now, Eben, let's move to our number of the week. And this one, it's an easy one for me to remember. Therefore, I like it. The number is zero. You explain. Zero, the number of full contact practices that Canadian Football League players are going to be having now. We've talked a lot about concussions, the dangers to head injuries, all of that. Ivy League schools, they stopped having full contact practices. CFL is next. Scott, do you see this continuing? Yeah, the question is, when does the NFL buy into? When does the union, when do the players mandate that this is just not the way we should be doing it. We're willing to knock into each other on Sundays for that paycheck, and but nobody watches practice. Nobody cares. That's not what people tune in for. They tune in to see the games. Let's save the hits for when it counts. That said, you and I both know that we're probably a long way away from the NFL making a jump of anything close to this magnitude. Yeah. But the more and more the peripheral parts of football, your college conferences, your Canadian football leagues, the more they start making this jump, the more likely that in the future the NFL's hand might be forced. I just want to see the enlightened coach that says, I can do a walkthrough without pads, get my guys sharp, make sure they don't make mistakes, make sure we don't take penalties, they know how to hit They'll be fresher, they'll feel better, they'll last longer, they'll play better. When we have an enlightened coach that does that, and if it works, if you've got enough guts, if, the, if an owner gives that person the power to do it, it'll be interesting to see if it works out. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Eben Novi-Williams. And I'm Scott Soschnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with Jonathan Kraft of the New England Patriots. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. Oh,